when we're dancing with the angels, the question will be asked, in 2019, what did we do to make sure we kept our democracy intact? Good question. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I got the feeling that something ain't right. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle. From with Pacifica you. Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA. Also in California, in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI, Round Mountains, KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE. In Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, and Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP. In Grand Rapids on WPRR, New Orleans, WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN. In Fayetteville, Arkansas on KPSQ. In Seattle on KODX, in Janesville, Wisconsin on WADR, and in Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel. Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, Deprogrammed Radio, and Detour Talk, blanketing planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today. After special counsel Robert Mueller testified to Congress in June of this year regarding Donald Trump's obstruction of justice, of the probe into Russia's alleged meddling in the 2016 election, Maryland Congressman Elijah Cummings, the Democratic chair of the House Oversight and Reform Committee, offered some thoughts on the gravity of this moment in American history. It's not about not liking the president. It's about loving democracy. It's about loving our country. It's about making a difference for generations yet unborn. That's what this is all about. And I'm begging, I'm begging the American people to pay attention to what is going on. Because if you want to have a democracy intact for your children and your children's children and generations yet unborn, we have got to guard this moment. This is our watch. The state of Maryland, the House of Representatives, the American people, as well as the cause of democracy and equal justice for all, lost a giant and a true champion today. As The Washington Post reports this morning, Elijah E. Cummings, a Democratic congressman from Maryland who gained national attention for his principled stands on politically charged issues in the House, his calming effect on anti-police riots in Baltimore, and his forceful opposition to the presidency of Donald Trump, died earlier Thursday morning at Johns Hopkins Hospital in his beloved city of Baltimore. He was 68 years old. The cause was complications concerning long-standing health challenges, according to his office. Cummings was chair of the House Oversight and Reform Committee and a leading figure in the Trump impeachment inquiry. 
Born to a family of Southern sharecroppers and Baptist preachers, Mr. Cummings grew up in the racially fractured Baltimore of the 50s and 1960s at age 11. He helped integrate a local swimming pool while being attacked with bottles and rocks. In the Maryland House of Delegates, he became the youngest chair of the Legislative Black Caucus and the first African-American to serve as Speaker Pro Tem. In 1996, he won a seat in the U.S. House of Representatives, eventually serving as chair of the Congressional Black Caucus there and as ranking Democrat and then chairman of what would become the House Oversight and Reform Committee. He was, quote, the quintessential speaking truth to power representative said Herbert Smith, a political science professor at McDaniel College in Westminster, Maryland, today. The first two years of the Trump administration, 2017-2018, were reportedly agonizing for Mr. Cummings, who was battling ill health, including complications of heart surgery as well as political frustration while in the House minority. Cummings said that his efforts to work with Trump and members uh, of the GOP majority in the House were largely fruitless. He said that at, at, a, uh, at a luncheon after Trump's inauguration and during other encounters, he had urged the president to pursue policies that could unite the country and burnish his legacy. According to the Baltimore Sun today, Cummings said that he had just one single one-on-one conversation with the president. That was back in 2017 when both worked uh, on plans uh, to try to lower drug prices. The Democrat recalls saying, quote, Mr. President, you're now 70-something, I'm 60-something. Very soon you and I will be dancing with the angels. The thing that you and I need to do is figure out what we can do, what present we can bring to unborn generations. Cummings said that he then told Trump that we don't need to be doing mean things, We don't need to be just representing 30-something percent of the people that like us. You need to represent all people. Congressman said that after a few promising meetings, however, he stopped hearing from Donald Trump. As ranking Democrat on the Oversight Committee, uh, Cummings became a leading voice against the Trump administration's efforts to add a citizenship question to the 2020 census, a change that critics contended would discourage participation by documented and undocumented immigrants alike. Cummings was also a forceful opponent of an immigration policy that separated thousands of children from their parents after they illegally crossed the southern U.S. border. He described the Trump White House as inhumane in its use of, quote, child internment camps. In turn, in July of this year, the president went on a Twitter tirade against Cummings and described his majority black Baltimore district as a, quote, disgusting rat and rodent infested mess. And he suggested that the congressman focus his efforts instead on cleaning up, quote, this very dangerous and filthy place. AP notes that those comments came weeks after Trump drew bipartisan condemnation following his calls for Democratic congresswomen of color to, quote, go back to their broken and crime infested countries. Cummings' response was not to dignify that attack, instead telling an audience at the National Press Club in D.C., quote, those at the highest levels of government must stop invoking fear, using racist language and encouraging reprehensible behavior. As a country, he said, we must finally say that enough is enough, that we are done 
with the hateful rhetoric. He said that hatred was only meant to distract the nation from its real problems, including mass shootings and white supremacy. Cummings was among the minority of House members and senators who voted all the way back in 2002 against authorizing a military invasion of Iraq. President George W. Bush's administration in the aftermath of September 11, 2001, terror attacks was alleging that Iraq continued to possess and develop weapons of mass destruction. Cummings said that there was not sufficient evidence of such weapons Not enough to, quote, send our young people off to war and thereby place their lives in harm's way. That was an opinion supported by subsequent investigations, but it was not supported by many in the media or Congress at the time. A member of the new Psalmist Baptist Church in Baltimore coming said he was driven by his faith and secure in his conviction that history would recognize his resolve to stand up for what he believed was right. Accolades and tributes and expressions of grief and respect have been pouring out all day on Capitol Hill and uh, and beyond from all sides of the political aisle for the beloved now late congressman. Former President Barack Obama, whose 2008 presidential bid counted Cummings as an early supporter, said that he and his wife Michelle were, quote, heartbroken by the loss of their friend. As chairman of the House Oversight Committee, Obama said he showed us all not only the importance of checks and balances within our democracy, but also the necessity of good people stewarding it. Obama said in a statement describing Cummings, Uh, as a steely yet compassionate, principled yet open to new perspectives. In a joint statement, former President Bill Clinton and his wife, former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton, also praised Cummings' leadership of the committee in finding facts, exposing fictions, and demanding that our government be accountable. The Sun reports that Maryland's Republican Governor Larry Hogan called Cummings, quote, a fierce advocate for civil rights and for Maryland for more than three decades. Congressman Cummings leaves behind an incredible legacy of fighting for Baltimore City and working to improve people's lives, the Republican governor said. Congressman, uh, Congressman and civil rights leader John Lewis said that with Cummings' death, Americans have lost a great deal at a time of crisis in our democracy. He said when this nation needed him most, he became a moral voice crying in the wilderness, and his words and actions called a reluctant nation to conscience. That from the uh, iconic Georgia, uh, Georgia Democrat John Lewis. In July, at the House testimony of Michael Cohen, Donald Trump's former personal lawyer and fixer, before uh, Cummings' House Oversight Committee, The chair welcomed Cohn's testimony as an attempt to save democracy itself from the ongoing, very real dangers now posed to it by the administration of Donald Trump. Sounds to me like you want to make sure that our democracy stays intact. When I the one meeting I had with President Trump, I said to him, the greatest gift that you and I, Mr. President, can give to our children is making sure that we give them a democracy that is intact. A not democracy better than the one that we came upon. And I'm hoping that the things you said today will help us begin to get back there. 
when we're dancing with the angels, the question will be asked, in 2019, what did we do to make sure we kept our democracy intact? Good question for all of us. Congressman Cummings also, uh, after that uh, hearing with Michael Cohen, uh, led the effort to gain access to Donald Trump's financial records. His committee subpoenaed records from Mazars USA. That's the accounting firm that provided uh, services to Donald Trump. The panel demanded documents from 2011 through 2018 as it probed Trump's reporting of his finances and potential conflicts of interest. And just last week, a federal appeals court ruled that those records must, in fact, be turned over. Several media outlets are now reporting that, at least for now, veteran New York Congresswoman Carolyn Maloney will take over the post as chair of the Oversight Committee. Congressman Steve Cohen, Democrat from Tennessee, tweeted out today, along with hundreds of other colleagues, to say, quote, a giant of integrity and knowledge has fallen. He defended the Constitution and acted with grace. So, uh, you know, I don't know why, but uh, Cummings' death felt like a body blow this morning, Desi Doyen, when I woke up to this news. Yes, I agree. Felt the same way to me. His widow, Maya Rockymore Cummings, who is chair of Maryland's Democratic Party, said in a statement, quote, he worked until his last breath because he believed our democracy was the highest and best expression of our collective humanity and that our nation's diversity was our promise, not our problem. His loss will be felt across this nation, across this world, to be frank. In Congress, Congressman Cummings' very first speech on the floor of the House of Representatives 23 years ago on April 25, 1996. In that speech, Elijah Cummings may have offered part of his own eulogy. My mission is one that comes out of a vision that was created long, long ago. It is a mission and a vision to empower people to make people realize that the power is within them, that they too can do the things that they want to do. And there's a poem that Perrin Mitchell said many, many years ago that I say sometimes 20 times a day, and it's a very simple poem, but it's one that I live by. It says, I only have a minute, 60 seconds in it, forced upon me, I did not choose it, but I know that I must use it, give account if I abuse it, suffer if I lose it. Only a tiny little minute, but eternity is in it. Congressman Elijah Cummings, dead at age 68 today. Rest in power, Congressman. I'm Brad Friedman. This is the Bradcast. We'll be right back. Welcome back. It's the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Congressman Cummings' fight for democracy continues every day right here on the Bradcast. Glad you can join us. Uh, first, though, a, a correction. We like to put them right up front when possible. As you know, Desi Doyen, oh, yes. this is not one of yours for a change. Oh, so goody. don't worry. <laughs> 
This was, uh, let's see, well, we couldn't put it right up front due to uh, the death of the congressman, so uh, the B block here will have to suffice. Our uh, On our special post-debate coverage yesterday of Tuesday night's debate in Ohio, I noted that I had missed last month's debate in Detroit, Thanks to the uh, my unexpected hiatus here due to the death of my father last month. And in fact, last month's debate was not in Detroit. It was in Houston. So it was the July debate, the hopefully last of the two night debates that actually took place in, in Detroit. Just so you realize that it was me who made that error, who has lost all sense of time and place over the past month. Uh, when I was off air, it's it's not you. It's <laughs> okay. me, at least as far as I know. Uh, other than that, if you missed yesterday's special coverage with Rewired, Rewired.News' Jody Jacobson and the Zero Hours' uh, R.J. Eskow covering Tuesday's uh, debate in Ohio, download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. Thanks to those of you who donate to support our work at uh, bradblog.com slash donate. So... With that out of the way, let's see what I can screw up today as uh, we both try to catch up with stuff that I would have loved to have covered over the past month, which I may again have to push off today, given the news about Elijah Cummings and the still very fast moving developments in the impeachment of the president of the United States. Which I may also have to push down the line a little bit here, Desi Doyen. Okay. Uh, there is just uh, too much coming in. And by the way, the impeachment, as far as I'm concerned, is still not being covered, frankly, with the gravity that I think it deserves or that we would at least have seen had this been the impeachment of a Democratic president. You think it would have been, you know, more special coverage as opposed to... Um, you know, the impeachment of an insane and dangerous Republican one. But uh, when it that seems to be, oh, that's second or third down the list of, of news items. Well, when you have Republicans running the corporate media's uh, rundown list about what they cover, then yeah. yeah, that's what happens. I guess it is. And But you know what? There's a lot going on. So even we are going to have to push it down, although I think that these all sort of ultimately tie together. Because, well, for one, the message does appear to be getting through to the American people. So let me hit just one quick impeachment story here. More than 50 percent of Americans now want Donald Trump impeached and removed, according to yet another poll, a new Gallup poll this time that was released on Wednesday. That survey was conducted from October 1 to 13. It shows that 52 percent of Americans support Trump's removal from office in the House impeachment proceedings. 46 percent do not. According to Gallup, the new figures indicate a reversal of the country's opinion on impeachment when compared to their poll numbers in June. So it has it has flipped now. Approval of Congress, by the way, in that same poll is up up seven points from September, which was before House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's announcement that uh, the impeachment inquiry was on based on the news of the president's attempts to strong arm Ukraine into helping Donald Trump with the 2020 election. So perhaps Nancy Pelosi's fear for so many months was was uncalled for here because, well, she's getting a lot of accolades for actually moving forward now with this impeachment. The increase in approval of Congress over the past month is largely the result of a 15 percentage point jump among Democrats, 15 points. 
to up to a 34% now approve. A smaller six-point increase also came from independents, and uh, Republicans' rating, however, of Congress uh, remains stable at 17%. The new Gallup poll, however, further bolsters the trend in support of impeachment and removal of the president. That has been found in a few other surveys, including that of Fox News, which show growing support for House Democrats impeachment inquiry, impeachment itself and the removal of the president from office as the scandal over Trump's attempt to get foreign governments to investigate Joe Biden continues to unfold. Last week, you'll recall the Fox News poll. Fox News poll found 51 percent of Americans support impeachment and removal of Donald Trump. That poll drove Donald Trump crazy. But as we like to say, it's a very short drive and he is uh, being driven crazier today, it seems. We'll get to that in a moment. But 51 percent in that Fox News poll supported removal of Trump. Another four percent were in favor, just 4% were in favor of his impeachment, but not removal. So most people want him gone. 40% disapproved of impeachment altogether in that Fox poll. These are numbers, especially coming from Fox, that are not good, as Donald Trump would say. Gallup's new poll out on Wednesday also notes that the amount of support for Trump's removal from office is, quote, well above what former President Bill Clinton faced during his impeachment proceedings and, quote, higher than that of Richard Nixon. But while there continue to be a number of new developments today along those lines, we will have to return to them uh, in an upcoming show because there is this more immediate disaster that Trump has unleashed this week in northern Syria. And we've got a whole bunch of rather mind-blowing developments to go with them over the past 24 hours or so that I want to make sure that you are able to keep up with. I'm hardly able to keep up with it, but let's all try together, shall we? So uh, we'll start here. This is just, as I said, mind-blowing. Donald Trump wrote the Turkish President Erdogan an extraordinary letter warning him not to be a, quote, tough guy or, quote, a fool as Turkish forces launched their attack on northern Syria, a White House official confirmed to NBC News. This three-paragraph letter was first obtained and reported by the Fox Business Channel on Wednesday. It was so bizarre that NBC and a bunch of other media outlets who covered it, they noted that even though it was on White House stationery with Trump's trademark Sharpie signature, they had to check with the White House to make sure that this thing was real, and apparently it is. It's very short. It's three paragraphs. I'll read it to you in full if you haven't seen it, just to get a sense of how... Bonkers? Yes, this is. Thank you. Dear Mr. President, the October 9 letter begins... Let's work out a good deal. You don't want to be responsible for slaughtering thousands of people, and I don't want to be responsible for destroying the Turkish economy, and I will. I've already given you a little sample with respect to Pastor Brunson. Apparently that's a reference to uh, economic sanctions that the administration had used on Turkey at one point to push for the release of an American pastor who had been locked up there, calling it, quote, a little sample of what could be in store. This is like a note from a mafia thug. Nice I, country you got there. Yeah, Shame if anything happened to exactly. it. Exactly. 
So the letter continues, I have worked hard to solve some of your problems. Don't let the world down. You can make a great deal. General Maslam is willing to negotiate with you, and he's willing to make concessions that, that they would never have made in the past. I am confidentially enclosing a copy of his letter to me just received. So General Maslam Abdi, he's the commander of the uh, mostly Kurdish Syrian Democratic Forces, who we have abandoned and who are now being attacked by Turkey as they try to retreat. All right, last paragraph of this. History will look upon you favorably if you get this done the right and humane way. It will look upon you forever as the devil if good things don't happen. Don't be a tough guy. Don't be a fool. And then he adds, I will call you later. <laughs> Jeez. Sincerely, Donald Trump. Why didn't he just put ciao? I I will call you later. <laughs> so sincerely, Donald Trump. Uh, unbelievable. It, 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 so he appears to be proud of this letter. Apparently, Senator Senate Minority Leader Chuck uh, Schumer said that the president had actually handed out copies of this letter during a heated meeting with congressional leaders on Wednesday, which I'll get to that in a moment. But Schumer said that the president is always tough at the wrong times. He should have been tough on the phone with Erdogan. What was it back on Sunday when he gave him the green light, essentially, to uh, to move in from Turkey into Syria? Schumer says he should have been tough on the phone, not in a letter after he had already greenlit Erdogan's invasion of Syria. Republican turned independent. Congressman Justin Amash of Michigan tweeted a copy of the letter and said, quote, this is insane. Apparently, the letter had no effect at all, however. It was written on the same day that the Turkish military began attacking Kurdish forces that had been allied with the U.S. in the fight against ISIS terrorists. The assault was launched after Erdogan, uh, after Trump told Erdogan that he would pull, uh, that he'd pull American forces who had been protecting the Kurds, that he'd pull them out of the area. This was the decision that was immediately met with condemn bipartisan condemnation. Trump insisted to reporters at a joint press conference with Italy's president on Wednesday that he had not given Turkey a green light to attack. But of course he did. And we all know that he did because we all saw the statement that was issued by the White House on October 6, three days before Trump wrote this letter to uh, to the Turkish leader after he was uh, condemned by everyone from the right to the left. This statement made clear that Trump absolutely gave the green light. In case you forget it, it says, uh, quote, Today, President Donald J. Trump spoke with President Erdogan of Turkey by telephone. Turkey will soon be moving forward with its long-planned operation into northern Syria. Seems pretty clear to me that that's what uh, the White House announced and that Donald Trump had given the green light for this effort. He said in this statement, the United States armed forces will not support or be involved in the operation in that long planned operation into northern Syria from Turkey and U.S. forces having defeated the ISIS ter uh, territorial caliphate will no longer be in the immediate area. So bombs away, boys. Have fun. We're out of there. Uh, then, of course, after they did so, he's hey, let's make a deal. Don't be a tough guy. Don't be a fool. What are you doing? Call you later. 
So who's the fool here? Uh, good God. Uh, and as of late last night, Turkey was still not listening to tough guy Trump, according to the Wall Street Journal. On Wednesday, and we've got an update on this uh, today shortly, but on Wednesday, Turkey dismissed. In other words, they ignored, they laughed at, they paid absolutely no attention to a U.S. call for an immediate ceasefire in northeast Syria, pressing ahead with their military offensive as senior Trump officials rushed to Ankara to try to halt the completely predictable fighting that was triggered by the withdrawal of American troops from the region. That after Trump's green light for Turkey's long, what they called long-planned operation into northern Syria. Now, earlier this week, Trump dispatched uh, the Secretary of State Mike Pompeo and Vice President Mike Pence both to the Turkish capital, where they were to meet today with President Erdogan to urge him, to plead him, to beg him, to get down on their knees and ask him to stop the week-long military incursion in northeastern Syria, which, of course, they knew was going to happen because they had already given him their blessing for it. But Trump, defending his decision... To withdraw U.S. troops from Syria refrained on Wednesday from criticizing Turkey at all for the assault on the Kurdish-held areas, saying Ankara's incursion has, quote, nothing to do with us. Okay, then why did you send your top diplomat and the vice president of the United States to beg them for a ceasefire, Mr. President? If it has nothing to do with us, why do you care so much? Back to the uh, journal here. The U.S. imposed sanctions and raised steel tariffs on Turkey earlier in the week after the incursion. And congressional leaders were moving on Wednesday toward adopting a measure that was harshly critical of the U.S. withdrawal, in large part because it meant abandoning the crucial ally, uh, the Kurds. But Trump, during a meeting with his Italian counterpart on Wednesday, dismissed that criticism. He said that the Kurds are a group with their well they are a group with which Washington has allied to fight ISIS for many years now but he called them quote not angels so jesus 11,000 kurds died in the fight against ISIS which we backed them in that allowed just six americans i believe it was to be killed during that same conflict where 11,000 Kurds died taking the lead to defeat ISIS in their strongholds. Which is something, by the way, that Trump has been bragging about for the past year. We totally decimated ISIS. Well, we didn't. We and the Kurds who did most of the fighting did. We didn't sacrifice thousands. The Kurds did. Well, that comment uh, slamming the Kurds as no angels apparently so pained Senate Majority Leader, Republican Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, that he was forced to actually offer a statement in rebuttal to the president on Wednesday in support of the now-destroyed alliance with the Kurds. I, I want to express my gratitude to the Kurds. Uh, they were great fighters. Yeah, we had a terrific alliance with them that put ISIL not totally out of business, but certainly in a very difficult spot. They were able to detain a lot of extraordinarily bad uh, people that others uh, did not want. I'm sorry that, we're, that we are where we are. I hope the uh, Vice President and the Secretary of State 
can somehow uh, repair the damage. Uh, but this was an extremely valuable alliance. He, he sounded pained in that statement, didn't he? It was an extremely valuable alliance yeah. in the past. So that was Mitch McConnell essentially dressing down the president's d- disastrous policy in the Middle East. Uh, back to the journal here. The Turkish military operation and subsequent withdrawal of U.S. troops prompted Kurdish fighters to seek help from and an alliance with Syrian President Bashar al-Assad. R- Russia as well which, along with Iran, backs the Assad regime. They have also sent soldiers to the area now. So our allies, the Kurds, have now made a deal to ally with our supposed adversaries, Syria, Russia, and yes, Iran. Trump said on Wednesday that, quote, Syria is protecting the Kurds. That's good. Syria may get help from Russia, and that's fine. There's a lot of sand to play with. A lot of sand to play with. Especially when you're ethnically cleansing somebody. Uh, he said, I wish them all a lot of luck. Senator Lindsey Graham uh, of South Carolina, who has criticized Trump's decision to withdraw troops, said, uh, quote, I fear this is a complete and utter national security disaster in the making, and I hope President Trump will adjust his thinking. Well, yes, I'm sure, he, uh, Senator Graham, I'm, I'm sure he will. That'll happen after his, you know, after you've, he's heard from you and his usual thoughtful consideration of the matter. The House of Representatives, meanwhile, on Wednesday passed a bipartisan resolution opposing Trump's decision to withdraw the U.S. troops, urging the administration to somehow contain the fallout from Turkey's incursion. The measure passed by a whopping 354 to 60 bipartisan vote. The the vote in support of the measure, this included 129 Republicans. That means that Republicans even supported this measure by a two to one margin, two to one over their own Republican colleagues. Even Republicans supported this condemnation of Donald Trump along with the Democrats on Wednesday. And this is where it just, again, becomes mind blowing. The U.S. military on Wednesday uh, said that two F-15 jet fighters carried out an airstrike to destroy an ammo storage facility, latrines, tents and other parts of the American campaign's Syrian headquarters, the headquarters to destroy the Islamic State after we pulled out from that base. In other words, we bombed our own base in Syria. Our own ammunition. We blew it up. Which the the military was forced to leave it behind because of the chaos of being ordered to immediately retreat. The decision to target that base our own base, which included warehouses that were used to train and equip the Kurd, uh, the Kurdish-led fighters. That came after Turkish-backed forces moved onto the facility on Tuesday. As the Turkish-backed forces moved closer, the Kurdish-backed uh, forces uh, set fire to their part of the base, and they fled, according to Colonel Miles Kaggins, a spokesman for the U.S.-led coalition overseeing the fighting against the Islamic State. This is chaos. This is a disaster. The U.S. used Apache helicopters and F-15 jet fighters to first intimidate the Turkish-backed fighters and deter them from getting closer to the base before they bombed the base, according to U.S. officials. Let me just drop in a reminder here that Turkey is a fellow NATO country. They are an ally, in theory, 
Uh, and they also, by the way, feature the largest and most powerful middle uh, military in the Middle East. How did they become so large and most powerful? Well, you know, we sold them a hell of a lot of weapons, didn't we? So we are using Apaches and F-15 jet fighters to intimidate the military of a fellow NATO country under Donald Trump. That is how far off the rails we now are. After that show of force, the U.S. military pulled its forces out of the base and carried out what it called its, quote, pre-planned precision airstrike of our own base before the Turkish backfighters could take control of the, of the facility. Uh, meanwhile, the dispatch of Pence and Pompeo, that is part of Washington's efforts to claw back control of events that have diminished the U.S.'s leverage to shape Syria's post-conflict future and made Russian President Vladimir Putin the leading power broker in the region. And just a reminder here that I am sharing with you reporting from the Wall Street Journal. That's the Rupert Murdoch-owned Wall Street Journal. He's the guy who owns Fox, and he's talking about the fact that Russian President Vladimir Putin is now the leading power broker in the region. On the ground in northeastern Syria, the Turkish military had pushed more than 20 miles into Syria by Wednesday. They've taken control of a strategic highway which runs parallel to the border with Turkey, and it was one of the main supply lines for Kurdish forces. That has left troops, both Kurdish and reportedly Americans, stranded, cut off, unable to retreat. Meanwhile, Russian forces are now reportedly filling the void created by the departing U.S. troops in the border city of Manbij, where they began patrolling the line between Turkish and Syrian armies. Highlighting Russia's growing influence in the region, the journal says the Kremlin said that Mr. Putin had invited Mr. Erdogan to come to Moscow to discuss the situation in Syria. The Turkish president's office said he will meet his Russian counterpart in Sochi next Tuesday. So Russia is now calling the shots in the region. Because at the same time, Trump has invited Erdogan to the U.S. in November and Erdogan's office has acknowledged receiving the invitation, but they have not yet uh, confirmed that he will make this trip. The Turkish president said in an interview with Turkish media, quote, when we look at Mr. Trump's Twitter statement so far, we find ourselves in a situation where we can't follow them anymore. We can't keep up with them, he said. A senior Trump administration official told the uh, told the journal for the U.S., quote, goal number one is to carry out diplomacy to try to find a ceasefire and get the situation under control at this point. The incursion by Turkey, with our approval, has now displaced some 130,000 people from their homes in northeast Syria. Since it began one week ago, according to the U.N., the majority have remained within the country, but they are moving away from the border to seek sanctuary from the fighting. Meanwhile, on Thursday, at the urging of Pence and Pompeo, at the begging of Pence and Pompeo, as I mentioned, they were dispatched uh, to uh, to Turkey this week. Well, as of Thursday, the U.S. and Turkey uh, and Turkey agreed to a ceasefire. In the deadly attacks on the Kurdish fighters in northern Syria, according to AP, not long before airtime today, that required the Kurds to um, vacate the area in arrangements that largely solidify Turkey's position and uh, their aims in this uh, week-long conflict. So in other words, 
this uh, this this ceasefire deal that we have supposedly uh, brokered between Turkey and Syria works great for Syria, gives them everything they want. The deal includes a conditional halt to American economic sanctions. After negotiations with uh, Turkish President Erdogan, Vice President Pence hailed the five-day ceasefire. It's just a five-day ceasefire. He it's remains, more of a pause than a ceasefire. That's what, that's what uh, Turkey is calling it, actually. He remained silent on whether it amounted to a second abandonment of America's former, former Kurdish allies. The Turkish foreign minister said the U.S. had accepted the idea of a, quote, safe zone. This is an idea that has long been pushed by Turkey. This is what Turkey wanted. And he insisted that the uh, Turkish army will control that zone. The commander of the Kurds, uh, the Kurdish-led forces in Syria, said we will do whatever we can for the success of the ceasefire agreement. But another Kurdish official declared that the Kurdish people would refuse to live under Turkish occupation. And that is what they now have. That has now been agreed to, at least, by the U.S. It was not clear whether the deal announced by Pence means the U.S. military will shift gears at this point and play a role in enforcing this ceasefire. Uh, or whether they're going to still keep continue to turn tail. Pence said the U.S. would facilitate the Kurds pull out, whatever that means. But he did not say if that would include the use of American troops. So how we will facilitate that pull out, that remains unclear. And the Pentagon says they have no immediate comment, probably because the Pentagon has no idea either. As Pence was speaking in Ankara, U.S. troops were continuing to board military aircraft and leaving northern Syria. In contrast with Pence's description, however, of this limited safe, safe zone, the agreement would effectively create a zone of control patrolled by the Turkish military. And uh, Turkey wants that to stretch out for the entire border from the Euphrates River to the Iraqi border, though the agreement did not define the extent of that safe zone. Turkish forces currently control about a quarter of that length. That was captured in the past nine days. So we appear to be conceding to Turkey, to their demands. And by the way, we are giving up the sanctions that we had against them for this in this in this so-called deal, which Trump immediately hailed as a, quote, great day for civilization. Pence and Secretary of State Pompeo took part in the negotiations. They lauded the deal as a significant achievement, but the agreement gives the Turks exactly what they had sought to achieve with their military operation in the first place. After the Kurds are cleared from that safe zone, Turkey has committed to a permanent ceasefire, but they are under no obligation to withdraw their troops. The deal also gives Turkey relief from sanctions that the administration had imposed and had uh, threatened to increase. So there will be no penalty for this operation, this operation that we gave them the green light to do. Brett McGurk, he's the former civilian head of the administration's U.S.-led counter uh, ISIS campaign. He wrote on Twitter today that the uh, Thursday deal was a gift to the Turks. He said, quote, the U.S. just ratified Turkey's plan to effectively extend its border 30 kilometers into Syria with no ability to meaningfully influence facts on the ground. He said the arrangement was, quote, non-implementable. 
Before the talks, the Kurds had indicated that they would object to any agreement along the lines of what was announced by Pence. So it remains unclear whether this ceasefire will actually happen and if it does, whether it will actually hold. Pence maintained that the U.S. had obtained, quote, repeated assurances from the Kurds that they will be moving out. Yes, they promised to leave to give up exactly what it was they were fighting for. Speaking on MSNBC's Rachel Maddow last night, McGurk, again, who served as Trump's own envoy to defeat ISIS, he called the ongoing policy after the U.S. was bombing its own base on Wednesday, he called it totally incoherent, you think? Uh, This is the extreme scenario, an emergency evacuation uh, where we have to bomb our own facility. Uh, This is a disaster. And it shows a national security process that is totally broken down, uh, decision-making uh, by the commander-in-chief with no consultation, no thought, uh, no consideration of consequence, with Americans on the ground in harm's way. Uh, it's a very serious situation. And as the Americans were evacuating that base and bombing the facility as they left, uh, the president was saying um, this was a strategically wise decision and everything was going well. Yes. It's totally incoherent. And again, that was Donald Trump's own envoy uh, to defeat ISIS, uh, calling this totally incoherent. That incoherence has been widely condemned, as I noted, even by Republicans. It has resulted in what House Speaker Nancy Pelosi described as a meltdown during a meeting with Trump about this policy at the White House on Wednesday, which she and other Democratic leaders abruptly walked out of as Trump began attacking the speaker as a third-rate politician. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer, and House Majority Leader Steny Hoyer were visibly furious after emerging from this meeting about Syria with Trump uh, on Wednesday. The Democratic leaders told reporters that they walked out of the bipartisan meeting with Trump and other Republicans after the president called Pelosi a third-rate politician in an apparent fit of rage. Pelosi, for her part, said she believed that Trump was, quote, very shaken up, that a large majority of House Republicans had voted to oppose his decision to withdraw U.S. troops from Syria. We witnessed on the part of the president was a meltdown. Sad to say. Speaker Pelosi, did the information No, it didn't come up. It did not come up. Not at all. No, it did not come up. It did not come up. But he called you a communist? Can you just no, he didn't call us, no, he did not call us a communist. He said, yeah. He said, let's just clarify that. He said the communists are taking or, or Some of ISIS were communists, and you would be happy. That might make you happy. That might make you happy. No, and the speaker said, yes. no, no, yes, we walked out. Yeah. At that point? Yeah. No, at no, the point later, that he was. When he started calling... Speaker Pelosi, a third-rate politician. Which I said, I wish you were a politician, Mr. President, then you would know the art of the possible. The so, so, so. Oh, man. So uh, that that worked out well. <laughs> Later, after Trump, for some ridiculous reason, tweeted out uh, this now iconic photo, you probably have seen it by now, of Pelosi literally standing up to a cowed Trump in that meeting Um, She was asked what she was saying at that time as she's pointing across the table at at Donald Trump. Uh, She said she wasn't certain, but she expected that she was saying with with you, all roads lead to Putin. Now, uh, 
Got to get to a break in the Green News Report, but uh, the uh, Carrie Elleveld over at Daily Coast notes that the fullness of Trump's deteriorating mental state at this point has led his... Uh, the, the husband of his uh, uh, senior advisor, Kellyanne Conway, uh, his her husband, George, to tweet out, quote, are we ready to have a full national conversation about the diseased mental state of the president of the United States? He says one person who was ready to broach that topic was the former FBI assistant director of counterintelligence, Frank Figluzzi who told NBC Donald Trump is spiraling down into a dangerous, dangerous posture and that he is acting in, quote, almost in total isolation. He is in a corner all by himself. And if you're a foreign leader trying to assess him, you actually don't know where this is going, except that he is incredibly vulnerable. Essentially, writes Eleveld, any foreign leader could call up Trump right now, just like Erdogan did, and basically bend him to their will because he is just that fragile. And I would add stupid. Uh, if Trump didn't pose a clear and present danger to this country before, writes Eleveld, he sure does now. And that danger increases with every passing minute that he continues to occupy the Oval Office. The attempts to remove this dangerous man from the White House and save democracy and save the nation and save the planet can't come soon enough. Speaking of saving the planet, quick break, and we're back with Desi Doyen and the Green News Report right here on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Hey, this is Brad. Remember me, the guy who was warning you about Donald Trump from the day he entered the race, when the rest of the U.S. media were telling you his candidacy was a joke, that he'd never win, and that Hillary Clinton had it in the bag. We told you otherwise from the beginning and up until Election Day. Well, we may have been right, but we still don't have corporate or foundational support. We still rely on you to stay on your public airwaves. Please stop by bradblog.com donate to support the work that Desi Doyen and I do every day. This country ain't going to save itself, but we can all do it together. That's bradblog.com donate. And thank you. I'm, I'm glad you're up, Desi Doyen, because I'm exhausted <laughs> yeah. from that segment. Too and much to keep up with. It is, and we didn't even get to the you know the impeachment stuff uh, regarding Mick Mulvaney's admitting that uh, there was a quid pro quo with Ukraine, that Sec Energy Secretary uh, Perry is going to be resigning. Oh, yeah. Uh, all kinds of diplomats basically throwing Donald Trump under the bus in their uh, interviews with the U.S. House. But that will be for another day. What could possibly go wrong between now and then? Until then, let's get to it. Our latest Green News report. A terrible threat to the safety and health of every American in terms of the climate crisis. Climate change. Climate change. Climate change. Climate change. In latest Democratic debate, the moderators didn't want to talk about climate change, but the candidates sure did. Climate protesters shut down parts of London, plus... This all started with a huge blast. 
Another fossil fuel explosion and fire, this time near earthquake-prone San Francisco. All of those blasts and more straight ahead. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. Kids all over the world went on a, a climate strike. Apparently they're pissed off that we've robbed them of their entire future and killed the planet. <laughs> Whiners. If you don't like it, get your own planet. This is your... Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, I don't get it. The majority of Democratic voters routinely select climate as one of the top two issues of concern to them. And yet, in debate after debate the mainstream media moderators don't seem to want to talk about it. <laughs> yeah, and, and remember how in September CNN hosted a marathon eight-hour-long town hall on the climate yes, crisis with yes. all of the 2020 Democratic presidential candidates? Yeah, those were good times. Maybe CNN felt that that was enough and it freed them from ever having to ask about climate change again <laughs> because during that three-hour-long Democratic presidential debate on Tuesday in Ohio, moderators with CNN and the New York Times did not ask a single question about it. There was time for a question about bipartisan friendships, but the biggest existential threat facing humanity that threatens human society and all life on the planet and will require a massive multi-generational effort to solve? Nah. Well, yeah, but, you know, Ellen DeGeneres uh, watched a football game with George W. Bush. That's worth spending 15 minutes on, isn't it? A handful of the 12 Democratic candidates briefly mentioned climate change, like billionaire climate activist Tom Steyer. In his first appearance in an official debate, Steyer quickly pivoted from a foreign policy question about Russia to climate change. Let's go to the most important international problem that we're facing, which no one has brought up, which is climate. We can't solve the climate crisis in the United States by ourselves. It's an international crisis. Any problem that we're going to do, but specifically climate, we're going to have to lead the world morally. We're going to have to lead it technologically, financially, and commercially. Well, that's good. I'm glad he brought it up. That said, he's spending $100 million on his campaign that I'll bet he could spend in much, much better ways. Senator Bernie Sanders of Vermont also managed to maneuver a question about a federal jobs guarantee into talking about addressing climate change as a massive jobs engine, part of the New Green Deal resolution he proposed in Congress. We have an infrastructure which is collapsing. We could put 15 million people to work rebuilding our roads, our bridges, our water systems, our wastewater plants, airports, etc. Furthermore, this planet faces the greatest threat in its history from climate change. And the Green New Deal that I have advocated will create up to 20 million jobs as we move away from fossil fuel to energy efficiency and sustainable energy. Oh, Bernie. Meanwhile, in other news, an explosion and fire at an oil storage facility on Tuesday near the San Francisco Bay Area community of Crockett sent a huge fireball and toxic smoke into the air. Nearby residents were ordered to shelter in place with their windows and doors sealed. The fire at the New Star Energy facility is now contained. Officials are investigating if a 4.5 magnitude earthquake the day before may have triggered 
triggered the explosion. Well, there sure are a lot of explosions and fires at refineries in the Bay Area, aren't there? Yes, and the risk of earthquakes in the Bay Area is a growing concern because of the vast network of aging fossil fuel infrastructure that runs throughout that county. Oh, I'm sure it'll be fine. In England, protest group Extinction Rebellion blockaded the London headquarters of Google on Tuesday to protest the company's funding of some of the most notorious climate denial groups in the United States, which was revealed recently in an expose by The Guardian. It was. Google it. More than 1,600 protesters have been arrested during the group's two-week civil disobedience campaign, demanding that the U.K. government accelerate action on climate change. But finally, some good news. California Governor Gavin Newsom signed a bill that effectively bans all new fossil fuel production within national monuments in the state. It prohibits state agencies from approving permits for new fossil fuel infrastructure on federal lands in order to block the Trump administration's efforts to expand oil extraction in California. And starting next year, the state will ban the sale of the toxic pesticide chlorpyrifos, which has been linked to brain damage in children because the Trump EPA failed to do so. Oh, Trump ain't going to like that either. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, please check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. And don't forget, as we approach the 1,000th Green News Report, you can support our efforts at bradblog.com slash donate. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. Thank you, Desi Doyen. Much Yay appreciated. for California. Boo for the corporate media. Uh, you know, I would say uh, it's 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 good to be back in California now that we you know after we were gone for a month. Um, uh, and I just want to once again uh, say thank you to everyone who has been uh, sending us kind, warm, generous notes uh, following the passing of my father, and that's why we were gone for the past month. I'd like to say it's good to be back. Uh, but it's really not it's with everything. To be back it's is crazy. What it is. Yeah. Uh, but you know, hearing from everyone has uh, has just been uh, fantastic. So uh, thank you to all of those who uh, dropped us email or sent in donations. You can reach me uh, for email. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. For donations, I am bradblog.com slash donate. And of course, you can uh, find, follow, and share all that we do here on the Facebooks and the Twitters at the Brad Blog. Uh, I think that's it. Is that it? Yep. That's it. Isn't that enough? Uh, We'll be back with you on the next thrilling Bradcast. I hope you'll be here for that. Until then, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. (laughs) 